Maybe I can have the Bhriya Bhagavatam Rita on the right there. Yeah, and then I need some more light on the book. Oops. <laughs> Good. <coughs> Take it. <coughs> no one has the light in his face, I hope. So, Sanatan Goswami introduces the Briyad Bhagavatam Rita as an expansion of the Srimad Bhagavatam because he describes that after Maharaj Pariksit had heard the entire Bhagavatam of Sukadev Goswami, that then still that snake bird, Taksak, did not attack. So there was some time left. Although Bharat's Pariksit was ready, you know, whenever it would happen. But then his mother came, and she was saying that a mother depends on the son. And now, you know, that you are suddenly going to leave this world, what will happen to me? And you have heard the entire Bhagavatam, so please, tell it to me. So, Maharaj Pariksit had a complication there, because he had been given seven days, and he's supposed to die within seven days, and seven days were basically over. So how was he going to speak the whole Bhagavatam of seven days to his mother? Right. So, then he spoke the Bhagavatam in, an, in another way, in the form of the Briyad Bhagavatam. Amrita. And this is what Sanatan Goswami is, is presenting to us. So that is how it begins. And uh, now we'll just read somewhere uh, a chapter that is entitled Gyan or Knowledge. And uh, I'm just uh, sort of beginning in the middle where it, wherever it opens. Well, I'll, uh, okay, let's begin. Tats choka duke runatapyamana sukha noham jagati swarena samlapsya tusye amukarabja sparsina chitrid vachanamritascha. I was tormented by the pain of separation from Raj, my face drying up. But when the Lord of the Universe noticed this, he consoled me again and again with his fascinating nectarian words and the touch of his lotus hands. As if, as if obliged to keep the et etiquette for dealing with an elder brother, the Lord would directly accept and eat the food I gave him just to please me. Commentary. Gopakumar was sitting on Indra's throne only temporarily, and Lord Vamana was not his real <coughs> brother. Nonetheless, the Lord was happy 
to accept Gopakumar's offerings in a brotherly mood. Tena vismitya tattukam puja purva vrittaya prinayan snehabhavatam laleyam kanistavat And so I would forget my distress. I would then show my affection by worshipping him lovingly in an unprecedented style, pampering him like my younger brother. Commentary. Lord Vamana, accepting offerings from his substitute brother, would sometimes touch Gopukumar's hands or show affection in other ways. In return, Gopukumar would touch the hands of Lord Vamana, the Lord of the Universe, and embrace him. This was not improper, because both their hearts were overflowing with ecstasy. After restoring me to normal in this way, he would go back to his own place somewhere else. Thus, although I had lived with Sriman Upendra, I was not always able to see him. Commentary. Since Gopal Kumar was destined to enjoy even more of the Lord's mercy elsewhere, circumstances changed so that he became less interested in staying in Swargaloka. Lord Vamana had shown him various kinds of affection, protected him from false pride, allowed him to worship in grand opulence with all the riches of the three worlds, and empowered him to preach pure devotional service throughout those worlds. Thus Lord Vamana had eased Gopakumar's distress, but after making Gopakumar happy and peaceful in this way, the Lord went elsewhere, perhaps to Svetadvip or Druvaloka, exactly where Gopakumar never knew. As the word Sriman here indicates, the Lord's consort Lakshmi accompanied him, and so Gopakumar was unable to see her either, even though the Supreme Lord is all-pervading. When he was away from Swargaloka, Gopakumar could no longer see him. The Lord would return occasionally, but for Gopakumar, that was not enough. <laughs> Om again, Timanam, the Siakin, and the Salaki Shaksu, and the Tanya of the Spine Shaku. Interesting. Um, somehow or other, <coughs> Gopu Kumar, who is a coward boy, on a journey to the spiritual world. Gopakumar on that journey is coming to many places. And as he is coming to many places, he is gradually, step by step, going upwards to higher realms. So in this way, the Briyad Bhagavan Samrita gives us a very systematic description of all <coughs> planetary system, both within the three worlds as beyond or within Devidam, within this material realm, and within Haridam, within the transcendental realm, the eternal realm of the Lord. Um, so here we are within Devidam. We are in the material <coughs> realm, and we are in the heavenly planets. And somehow or other, when Gopakumar came to the heavenly planets, it just happened to be so that Indra had to go elsewhere and that Indra requested him to take the, the position of Indra, uh, acting Indra. 
after all, Indra is opposed, you know, just like temple president. And we find in the Bhagavatam a whole list of uh, different personalities that all become Indra in different uh, periods of time. Uh, so Gopakumar got the position of Indra. And then it's interesting that he got a personal darshan of the Lord also. And that it was Lord Vamana Dev, who is Upendra. Upendra means the younger brother of Indra. Uh, the younger brother. Because after all, the Lord appeared uh, as the son of Kasyapa and Aditi. And in this way, he was part of the Adityavarna, or the sons of Aditi who make up the, the devatas, the demigods. And thus, he was there with them, and, and we see he was there and not there. He would come sometimes, and then he would go. Gopakumar was not sure exactly where. Was it maybe Druvaloka? Um, yes, possibly. Um, because after all, um, it is there that, uh, you know, Druva received um, a residence? Or was it in the place where maybe Bali Maharaj got his residence? Because we also find that it is described that Lord Vamana is acting as the guard of Bali Maharaj. Right? He's guarding his palace and he's just there associating with him. Anyway, so wherever he went, you know, that may not be clear. Gopukumar was not sure. But the point was that when he would come, uh, just the presence of the Lord would, would be so overwhelming. It was just amazing. They had such intimate exchanges. Uh, there was this younger brother, elder brother relationship, and they would touch each other and so on. And, you know, and uh, those feelings of separation of Vrindavan, which uh, somehow or other Gopukumar was carrying in his heart, um, those feelings were now gone. They were just, they disappeared temporarily in the presence of Lord Vamanadev because the ecstasy was just overwhelming. Um, it's quite amazing, you know. Because we get an insight also <clears throat> in the position of Indra uh, and how Indra also is actually very intimately connected with the Supreme Lord. That's not only that Indra is a devotee of the Supreme Lord, but Indra, and that Indra is taking care of the universal affairs and so on, but Indra is getting <coughs> direct association of the Supreme Lord. That is really interesting. I think we never sort of understood it in that way so much in detail from what we heard from Srimad Bhagavatam. In this way, the Briya Bhagavatam Rita gives us a lot of supplementary information. You know, it fills in many details that we uh, didn't get by reading Bhagavatam. It's very interesting. For example, <coughs> as, uh, as Gopakumar comes to higher regions, at one point he comes to Brahmaloka, and again a similar situation occurs where Lord Brahma 
<coughs> has to go attend to some puja elsewhere. <coughs> Fishies. <All right. coughs> Let's not overdose on the Yeah, so Gopu Kumar, when he comes to Brahmaloka, a similar thing happens. He, Lord Brahma, also has to go and he gets the throne of Brahma. Anyway, while Brahma is still there and he has the darshan of Brahma, it's very interesting because the question may be what is Brahma doing? Uh, Brahma is known as the creator. Okay, but what does he do after everything is created? Oh. Yeah, then he is the, the grandfather. The grandfather. Okay, but what does he do? You know, as the grandfather, <clears throat> um, Indra is sort of taking care of the universal affairs and uh, Brahma and is, uh, is kind of looking at all that, you know, as the grandfather. But he's not directly involved with it. Oh. That's Indra's job. Um, Surya is riding his chariot through the sky, and the sun is rising and setting as he is uh, riding through the universe. And uh, that's all going on. So basically, what's Lord Brahma doing? So then it is described that there is a form, <coughs> an expansion of Lord Vishnu who is residing there. And Lord Brahma is just constantly engaged in puja. But his deity is alive, you know what I mean? It's not like, uh, of course our deities are also alive. You know, I'm not saying that our deities are not alive, but then again, do we really believe that? Um, can we actually really accept it, that the deity is alive? And if so, would we, in the same casual way, deal with him? Uh, if we actually fully appreciated that we're dealing with Krishna in the form of the deity. Lord Chaitanya, he had a Govardhan Shila. He wasn't getting so much into what kind of eyes and like, you know, and, and so on, <clears throat> and drawing this and that, you know. He wasn't into putting the, the Lord to rest, in waking the Lord. He wasn't doing any of these things. All that he did, he was crying tears. And he's just bathing the Govardhan Shila with his tears. So, now you're talking about, you know, <laughs> deity worship. Uh, can try that. Um, anyway, but Lord Brahma, he had an expansion of the Lord who was per permanently present, and he would just constantly worship that, that form of the Lord. And sometimes, you know, for a moment, he would uh, attend to other things, and very rarely he attends to universal affairs. And otherwise, 
he just uh, sometimes there are also discussions there are also uh, cultural performances uh, all centered around the Lord um, anyway Gopal Kumar became Lord Brahma and when Gopal Kumar became Lord Brahma then what happened was that one day all the Vedas personified came so it was a huge assembly you know because you know Vedas not just one book you know so there was a whole assembly there the whole Veda personified was there and then what happened was the Upanishads the Upanishads they stole the entire show you know they just like drew all the attention to themselves and they just started like establishing the impersonal feature of the Lord and glorifying Brahman and just one after the other, you know, various Upanishads all contributed something to the discussion. And at one point, it just got too much, you know. Some confidential Puranas, some Agamas, and some even confidential Upanishad, like the Gopal Tapani Upanishad. They couldn't take it. They couldn't take it any longer. So finally, you know, with Srimad Bhagavatam at the head, they just walked out of the assembly. Right? And that, of course, you know, caused the whole thing, you know. It's like, my God, you know. Suddenly all these highly respected personalities walked out. So everyone was going, oh no, what happened? You know, we must have upset them. It became a whole thing. They went after them and Gopal Kumar, please, please, please forgive us. You know, I mean, we don't know what happened. We didn't really respect you, but no, no, please come back to our assembly. And then they came back to the assembly and they were duly given seats of honor and great respect and so on. And then, you know, and then they spoke and established that ultimately, right, ultimately, Krishna is the ultimate goal of all the Vedic literature. And as Bhagavatam is speaking the essence, Nikama Galputar Galitam Falam, it is said that it is the, the ripened fruit of all Vedic knowledge. Um, that is Srimad Bhagavatam. So, so it's super interesting. You know, this Priyad Bhagavatam Rita, I think it's it's very interesting. Um, it gives us all these little tidbits of information that we didn't get from reading Srimad Bhagavatam. Mm. And then, for example, mm, we know something about the heavenly planets. Right? From, we know something. Somaras, we find, you know, descriptions of Mount Meru and, and so on. And so, something we know. But then, you know, these Janamar and Tapalokas that are beyond the heavenly planets, that's a little bit obscure. What's going on there uh, is not really so clear when we read Srimad Bhagavatam. If you have to get it from there, you will be puzzled. Uh, it will not be very detailed. But again, in the Brihad Bhagavatam Rita, it's, it's interesting because we find all 
kinds of details. And what do we find? We find that on the Janaloka, the Pajapatis live there. Oh, that's interesting, because we always wondered about these Pajapatis, you know. Yeah. And we heard about these Pajapatis and, uh, you know, Daksha and, and so many others right, who were Pajapatis. Swayam Bhuvamanu, they were Pajapatis. And where, you know, that were like these, uh, these very exalted personalities who are sort of like the forefathers of mankind with a order to, uh, to generate Praja. Uh, therefore, Pajapatis. Praja, sometimes Brahma himself is, is referred to as Pajapati. Because ultimately, all the, he's the first Pajapati. From him, all the various Praja uh, is generated. So Praja means that which takes birth. Praja. Uh, so, so many uh, living beings. Um, so these Pajapatis are meant for populating the universe. So in the Briyad Bhagavatam, it is described that the Pajapatis, they basically engage in sacrifice and in austerity and penance and so on and then all with the aim of conceiving very qualified children and then okay they engage in sexual activity to have children so the emphasis is so much on the sacrifice and on the offspring that although there is sexuality the focus is very much on the offspring and on the on qualified offspring. So, um, and then we find descriptions there in that in that particular chapter that according to one's relationship with sexuality, one is placed somewhere in the universe, either higher or lower. And that, that's like uh, well, when you read that, I go oh. <laughs> yeah, sort of uh, never thought of it like that. It was, it was kind of a, a bit of an eye-opener, I must say. Um, it was interesting. So according to our relationship with sexuality, now, we are placed somewhere. Then it said, in the heavenly regions, the atmosphere is predominated by the mode of goodness. Therefore, the, the natural tendency is to express everything according to dharma, according to prescribed duty, prescribed standards. <coughs> uh, the earthly regions are in the mode of passion. Therefore, although there are rules and regulations, to us they feel like a shoe that is too tight. You know, We always feel like wanting to take that shoe off. You know what I mean? Of the rules and regulations of society. Then below that, you know, sexuality is is either expressed in a adharmic way, or even lower than that, you get the hellish planets where you get the reactions of uh, you know of uh, previous adharmic activity. Anyway, whatever may be. Uh, it's just interesting that the key to being placed in various positions is one's relationship with sexuality. Because sometimes we take it more like 
punya, you know what I mean? The demigods, they have so much punya. And they're so pious, and therefore they became demigods. And the living entity who has, has done is so much punya, has done a hundred Aswamedha sacrifices, can become Lord Indra. And the most pious living being of all becomes Lord Brahma. These are the kind of things we know. But then when we hear, according to one's relationship with sexuality, higher or lower within the universe. Hmm. Interesting. I thought. Yes. And then, yeah. Then another thing I like in the Brihad Bhagavatam Rita is, uh, you know, above the Janaloka, is these is the Mahar Loka. And in the Mahar Loka there are the sages, right? The the like the Saptarisi and these kind of personalities. And uh, and yet it says when the when there's a temporary dissolution of the universe, every after every Kalpa there is some sort of dissolution, then Janaloka gets it. And the residents of Janaloka are traveling up to Maharloka, you know, where you are, they are above the influence of the heat that comes from below in the universe. Anyway, uh, Tapaloka has nothing to do with it's such a temporary dissolution. It, uh, you know. In Tapaloka, there are all, all great sages. Tapaloka is the residence of the Brahmacharis. And the worshipable de deity there is Sanat Kumar. He is... Sanat Kumar is actually a Shakti Avesh avatar. So he's simultaneously there, but he's also in Vaikuntha. And therefore he's extremely effulgent and transcendental. Huh? And uh, so... And then, when Gopukumar comes there, <coughs> what happens there is that they are all meditating. And they say everything is happening in the mind. They say that when you see things, right? you know, we know that the, the eye catches an image which reflects on the retina, and the retina sends a signal to the mind, and then it's processed there. Therefore, they say, seeing really happens in the mind. Yeah, it happens in the mind. Therefore, they told Gopukumar, just meditate. Just meditate. But Gopukumar was not satisfied just by meditation. Gopukumar wanted more. He said, like, yes, meditation is fine. Can I get one more fish? Mm -hmm. See, I'm on a ration, but... <coughs> <clears throat> no, no. Gopu Kumar wasn't satisfied to meditate. He basically said, I want to see the Lord. You know what I mean? I said, no, that seeing is just, you know, it's, it's just a... It's just part of a process. It really ends up in the mind. You know? So what's this thing about seeing? Why you want to see? Mm. 
But this is, is really the devotee. We want to see, we want to smell, we want through all the senses drink, drink in the presence of the Lord. No? Not just meditation. No? When we say that chanting Hare Krishna <coughs> is meditation, right, then we're not doing ourselves justice. You know, we are trying to, to cater to the world and selling the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra to the world as mantra meditation. Right? And it's become so common now that we just, uh, we just uh, tell everybody. What? Mantra meditation, mantra meditation, we print cards, mantra meditation, we have mantra meditation lounges, we have, you know, I mean, we have mantra meditation evenings, we have mantra meditation breakfasts, and God knows, you know, how much mantra meditation we have. But I just wanted to say that we are not doing really justice to our movement because... We want to smell the holy name. Oh, just as, as Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, we want to touch the lotus feet of Nam Prabhu. We want to touch the lotus feet of Nam Prabhu. Oh. Yeah, so we want the full experience that the holy name is Krishna, beyond merely an experience in the mind. Um, but through all the senses, fully. When Narada Muni was seeing Krishna, seeing the Supreme Lord, um, all his senses became simultaneously agitated. You know, I before Krishna consciousness, I used to. Uh, play guitar and a bit of uh, classical also. Um, and then there was this really, really famous classical guitar player named Julian Bream, you know. And uh, he's British actually. But it's like, uh, he's still alive and he is like, phew, incredible. So, and he was like a, a very strong character. So there was a uh, an entire concert hall, right, booked out, you know, with people who wanted to hear him. I also bought a ticket, <laughs> and I was sort of, I paid good money, so I was sitting quite in the front, right. And then, you know, what happened was that when he came on stage. He refused to use a microphone. He said, no, I don't want to <clears throat> distort, you know, distort the sound. So there's this one man with a guitar, with one guitar, an acoustic guitar, without amplification, sitting in a concert hall, and a thousand people are trying to hear, you know. I mean, breathing was not allowed. Yeah? No panting, you know what I mean? You know, 
and cuffing, you know, was sinful. You know? <laughs> <laughs> could be lynched for less, you know. I mean, you know, and anything, you know, like anything that could possibly make noise that could come out of a body from anywhere was strictly, strictly banned at that time, you know. It was just, I mean, God, was it silent, right? Was everyone silent? And were we like, I mean, everyone was just all ear, you know what I mean? I don't think I've ever had more of an all ear expense, uh, experience than that, like, trying to put all the consciousness in the ear to hear it, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, so that kind of approaches it, you know, like in uh, the chanting of the Holy Name, we are all ear, all ear, and next moment, we are all voice, and next moment, yes. Oh. Uh, it can expand when we fully realize the name, then Krishna is there and everything will manifest within the name. Um, that is amazing. That is amazing. So in one sense, when we say mantra meditation, uh, you know, it's okay as long as you put some salt, you know. <laughs> and you put lots of salt because really, we know better, you know, we know better. Yeah, yeah. Hi, folks. We're doing a little mantra meditation today. Wink. <laughs> you know, oh, in this way, we are um, getting so much out of this Brihad Bhagavatam Rita. So many interesting things. Uh, and I'm just taking some random things which I like from the Briya Bhagavatam Ritism. And one story I like to tell, you know, is a story about Hanuman. And I gotta tell it. Since I'm doing Briya Bhagavatam Rita, I can't leave it out, you know. I mean, basically, this is not about Gopakumar because the Briya Bhagavatam Rita, there are two stories. In part one, there is a story of Narada Muni trying to find the greatest devotee. And first it starts with a devotee who is worshipping on the banks of, uh, of the Triveni in Prayak and, you know, a Brahmana, and he does such amazing puja, and Narada appears there and glorifies, you are the greatest devotee, da, 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 you know, and then the Brahmana says, no, oh, please, my dear Narada, please, you know, do not speak like this because actually, Six months ago, I was in South India in a kingdom where, where the king does not just worship the deity, but engages the entire kingdom in worshiping the deity. And the whole kingdom is doing the puja, collectively. And it's just, just amazing. He said, my puja is nothing in comparison to that. And Narada could understand. And Narada became all blissful. And Narada got such a desire to see that king and then Narada while chanting in the name of the Lord was just going on. Oh, he chants Radhika Raman, Radhika Raman, Radhika Raman. You know, and he just traveled on to meet that king. 
All right, you know, each time he comes to a devotee, that devotee points out, Nardav worships that devotee. You are the greatest. Then that devotee says, no, I'm not the greatest at all. I'm not the greatest at all. Such and such is the greatest. So at one point, they've come to the point where they say, Hanuman, Hanuman is the greatest. He's the greatest. He's the greatest recipient of the mercy of the Lord. And Narada comes, Hanuman, 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 you are Hanuman. I mean, who is greater than you, O Hanuman? You are the, such a dear servant of the Lord. You are the greatest recipient of the mercy of the Lord. So it comes like that. Then Hanuman, Hanuman is just saying, please, please, please. I mean, don't speak in such a way, please. You know, I mean, I cannot bear it. I mean, please allow me. Allow me to speak the truth. He said, you know, when Lord Ramachandra, when Lord Ramachandra uh, was on this planet, and at one point when Lord Ramachandra left this planet, he took entire, the entire population of Ayodhya with him, all of them. Yes, except me. Except me. Just see. Huh? Am I the greatest recipient of the mercy of the Lord? Huh? He did not see me fit. He did not take me. Then, I had to live in separation from him, in Kimpurusavarsha. And there, all right, I'm worshipping a deity of him in great separation. All this time. It's just like, how am I? the greatest recipient of the mercy of the Lord. The Lord has neglected me. And how much time has the Lord actually spent with me personally? Yes, we assisted him in his mission to regain Sita, but after that, how much personal association did I get with the Lord? Actually speaking, he said, very little. Most of the time, I'm just living in separation of my Lord. How am I the greatest recipient of the mercy of the Lord? Look at the Pandavas. Oh, the Pandavas, the Lord stayed with them. The Lord was lying on the same bed with Arjuna. The Lord was the messenger for Yudhisthira, the chariot driver of Arjuna. Ah, in so many ways, the Lord lived with the Pandavas. He was so close with the Pandavas, the Pandavas, the Pandavas. And then Narada said, yes, the Pandavas, the Pandavas. And... Hanuman just spoke the Pandavas, the Pandavas, and he began to dance. The Pandavas, the Pandavas, and Narada jumped up. The Pandavas, the Pandavas, the Pandavas. And then Narada said, let's go. Let's go to the Pandavas. And Hanuman said, let's go, let's go to the Pandavas. <laughs> and then, as they started moving, then Hanuman said, wait a minute. <laughs> I can't go to the Pandavas. You know, these Pandavas, they are very familiar with the Lord. He said, you know, I can't afford that. You know what I mean? I'm a monkey. Right? You know what I mean? I have to be careful, you know, and strictly adhere to the etiquette. Otherwise, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it might get out of hand. You know, I'm a monkey after all. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not going to the Pandavas. No. I just stay here and worship my Lord. Ramachandra, my Lord, 
Ramachandra, my Lord Ramachandra. And meanwhile, Narada left, and Narada chanted, the Pandavas, the Pandavas, the Pandavas, the Pandavas. Uh, it's, it's, I really like the story. It's just very um, ecstatic and sweet, and at the same time taking us through the Briyad Bhagavatam Rita into the Bhagavatam. We should look at the Briyad Bhagavatam Rita like an expansion of the Bhagavatam. It takes us into the Bhagavatam. And we are like just, uh, what shall I say, we're just entering into the Bhagavatam now, appreciating, uh, appreciating that there are different levels of intimacy with the Lord. And that in at that core, as the intimacy is increasing, there is more exchange of ras. And and we we now we understand it better from the Briyad Bhagavatam Rita. And we come back to Bhagavatam. And we understand it in this way. In this way, this Briyad Bhagavatam Rita is not just another dust collector on the shelf. It's not one of those books which you just have there for decoration. It's actually really interesting because it is a key to the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam is the core. The Bhagavatam is the essence. The Bhagavatam is the everything. The all and everything of what we have. It is the essence of all knowledge. Bhagavad Gita leads up to the Bhagavatam. Chaitanya Charitamrita is a spin-off of a Bhagavatam. The nectar of devotion, it's all Bhagavatam, actually. I mean, most of the verses quoted, there's Bhagavatam. It's also drawing on Bhagavatam. Everything is pointing at the Bhagavatam. Uh, it is there where we find out about Krishna. And the Briyad Bhagavatam Rita is, is that same Bhagavatam, but now presented in a slightly different way and gives us... <coughs> an entrance into the Bhagavatam, a fresh entrance into the Bhagavatam, with new vision and new eyes. So I've given examples this evening, you know, like how it actually gives us a new and fresh vision of the Bhagavatam. And in this way, this Briyad Bhagavatam Rita is, is Bhagavatam. It is Bhagavatam. There is a lecture, a famous lecture, where at the end of the lecture, someone asks Prabhupada the question, is, uh, is Joan of Arc in the Bhagavatam? And Prabhupada says, eh? Joan of Arc in the Bhagavatam? You know, from like. Really, like, where are you coming from? <laughs> huh? And then, but then Prabhupada is just going to his amazing transcendental platform. And he says, yes, Joan of Arc is also in the Bhagavatam. Because the life of the saintly persons is Bhagavatam. So what an amazing... What an amazing vision of the Bhagavatam. 
So we have no idea what we have, you know. The body of time. <laughs> but little by little, uh -huh. through these kind of books like the Briyad Bhagavatam Rita, through statements of Srila Prabhupada, through statements of Sanatana Goswami, and Krishna Lila Stava, who says that the Bhagavat is my constant companion. You know, in that way we are getting, uh, yeah, what shall I say, we get uh, mm, refreshing and refreshing. Uh, and going deeper every time. Going through the same Bhagavatam again, but this time understanding it differently. So therefore, let us all that we read, let us bring it back to the Bhagavatam. And when we read so many other books, right, around the Bhagavatam, let these books <coughs> simply be there to enlighten us further about the Bhagavatam. Because that's really the essence of all. Our, you know, when you say, Nityam Bhagavata Sevi, and Nityam means all the time. You know, there's one translation for Nityam means always, all the time. Nityam, constantly, um, all the time. <coughs> all the time, Bhagavatam. Um, Sanatana Goswami says, Bhagavatam, my constant companion. Now, you know, it can't be that he's always reading even under the shower, yeah. I mean, you know, Bhagavatam constant companion, what does it mean? It means somewhere that somewhere along the line it's not only about reading, but that it also comes to the point of being in the consciousness, and that the consciousness becomes Bhagavatam, and that we see through the Bhagavatam, Shastra Shakshas, in this way, constant companion. Anyway, so much for all of that <coughs> and the time. The clock is ticking and I don't want to do a lecture of like five hours this evening since last night it was late and I said, it's a weekday, right? So we're gonna leave it at this. Um, um, all I'll do is end by offering my tributes to Tribhuvanath Prabhu who was like such a wonderful personality and uh, who said that the first time he met Prabhupada here in the UK they had appointed him to offer Prabhupada a garland and he stood at the door with the garland you know sort of in ready to strike but then, when Prabhupada came in, the presence of Prabhupada was so overwhelming and so shocking that he just fell on the ground and offered obeisances. Forgot all about his garland, then Prabhupada moved on through the crowd, <laughs> <laughs> climb over people with his garland somehow or other, fight his way through the crowd, and eventually. By then, others had already offered Prabhupada a garland, so his was then an extra garland. But Anyway, then during that lecture, at one point, uh, 
this is not recorded. You can't find it in the Veda base. But we heard it from Trivuvanas, and that's good enough for me. And uh, who said that? Prabhupada said that Krishna consciousness is so simple, you might just miss it. Right? And that's something, you know, Trivuvanas embodied that. You know. And my lecture tonight also is so simple because it's just saying there's nothing else, really. Just the Bhagavatam. That's what it's saying. <coughs> just the Bhagavatam. So simple. Can it be so simple? But there are other books, Murak. What about the Vishnu Purana? <laughs> uh, it's another Purana. Introduction to the Bhagavatam. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborates also a little bit on the Bhagavatam. It's the Bhagavatam. Okay, your turn if you have any reactions. It's everything is fine except don't get physical. <laughs> don't throw things. You don't have to agree. You can't protest. Or you mentioned that the people on the different planetary system they're there uh, because of their relationship to sexuality mm -hmm. so the people on a higher planetary system if they're going by more dharmic regulations and stuff um, but we also see in the scriptures that they also uh, you know demigods get up to a lot of um, things affairs and etc and but th they don't seem to have so much like condemnation or whatever, they just carry on. Yeah, they live in a different realm of different rules, different judgment. They live a very long time. They're also very, very powerful. See, a king, you know what I mean? In this world, a king, at least used to be, that kings get away with something, right? Now that's changing. But, uh, so, we got the, these demigods, you know what I mean? They are such opulent personalities. They have such amazing powers. They're, you know what I'm saying? It's like, they're very pious. Otherwise, their ego would become a huge disturbance. If we would... You know, the more position you get in the world, right, the more prominence your ego gets. Right? It's like... So, the demigods are very pure. The Indra is very pure. Very much so. And then we see, and so powerful, so then we see, all right. A maiden here, a maiden there. What's a few maidens for, you know, the king of heaven who has unlimited power? Um, so it's not that that is 
judged in the same way as you would judge an ordinary person. It's interesting also that even in our community of Vaishnavas, we should also judge like that. We should not judge all the same. You know, we should judge people according to what service they have done and their status. And then if they have also done something abominable, all right, then, you know, but still we should not disregard the service and the status. And um, in the case of Indra, it's, it's like that, or other such personalities. They are extremely pious. They have more license. Just like a king has more license. Yeah. Maharaj, thank you for your thoughts. Uh, but may you describe being Suradev, Sarki Mandirating the Sarki and his chariot. And we have so many descriptions of things that go beyond our conception. Uh, like the thousands of cows given donation in Krishna Gorak or, or all these things that I was thinking when I, when I when I read at least for myself when I read these descriptions mm-hmm. I almost glaze over them or take them with a pinch of salt mm-hmm. but I'm not able to yeah how, how do we do it I mean my question really was how, how do we not be offensive mm-hmm. but you know, genuinely not see these things as allegorical or uh, yeah mythological and sure um, Priyavrata drives through the sky because he doesn't like it that it is that it's not always light <laughs> so you know he tries to fix the weather and he does right creates his own chariot and then the wheels create these seven continents and you go is this mythology <laughs> Then the other day I was reading, you know, like uh, um, a book called The Sacred and, Prove- and Profane, you know, from Mircea Eliot, right, who's a historian. And it's interesting because uh, he really is very uh, knowledgeable. And uh, he went across all the world cultures and he pointed out that uh, Iran... <coughs> In its, uh, in its in the Zoroastrian history, is uh, is considered a very special holy land. It's not just an ordinary place; it's a holy land, because that land is exactly in the center of the universe. And the proof is that, like at the you know, at the peak of uh, of summer, the sun is exactly you know like exactly perpendicular to Iran. There you go. Mm. No, the sun on the solstice, as it's called, is casting no shadow. Now, interesting enough, Jerusalem is also the center of the world. Interesting. Yeah, That's also exactly in the center of the world, according to the, the tradition. And the same, uh, the same uh, logic also is given there, the solstice again. Of course, you know, we have uh, Naimi Saranya. You know, happens to be exactly in the center of the universe. Yeah. 
So anyway, you know, like this central idea comes everywhere. And when you read these kind of things, then you start to like, then the mind can so easily see everything a little relative. Um, yeah, we have to appreciate that um, that Prabhupada didn't uh, didn't do this. Right? His example is just really putting his full faith into the Bhagavad and the whole moon landing issue is just an example of that. Prabhupada is ready to go against the world, you know what I mean? Put his faith. So, uh, there's of course this Adunikavad philosophy where it said, like, well, part of the Bhagavatam is mythology, that's the stories and so on, and then there's the, uh, the philosophical part of the Bhagavatam. That is, of course, eternal. Uh, but... Uh, we should not uh, fall into these, these, these things. We should just say there's a lot of things that cannot be understood from our perspective. And I often give the example of the ants, you know, like we can do things that for ants are miracles, right? Now look, what's, what's ant life all about? Let's be frank. Sugar. Right? And it's about sugar. And like, you know, what can we do? It's very easy for us. We can make it rain sugar from heaven, right? Anybody would know how to do it. Even children can do it. In fact, they like to do it. Right? So, you know. Uh, but for the... So then it rains sugar from heaven, and, and which is a miracle from the end's perspective. He cannot see that we, you know go to the shelf, pick up a pack of sugar, and just turn it upside down. It doesn't, they don't see that. They just see the, the rain of sugar. It's a miracle. Right? So there, there are all kinds of things going on in our life that is beyond the perception of the ants. So there's so many layers in the universe. So many things are going on, governed by so many laws that are just totally different from the little laws that we are aware of. Right? And as we tend to, it's just the mind, you know. It's, it's Chandra Sakanyaya. We look at the moon through the branches of a tree. You know? We look at an unknown object through a known object. And then try and figure out what it is. Because otherwise, we're lost. And thus, we see regularities and we call it a law. And, you know carve it in stone and doesn't always apply and, uh, and all these things they don't apply in higher regions of the universe what to speak of the spiritual world where you know the spiritual world is the uh, yeah is the uh, realm which is not limited by time space and thought we were talking about it over lunch, actually, about, you know, the devotees had read about that Vrindavan is, is a lotus, and, you know, there's all these places at great distance, and sometimes the lotus opens and the lotus closes, right? It's a well-known thing. And uh, so Jai Vaita was, was talking about, and he was saying that, 
this the devotees actually brought this up to Prabhupada. And then they said, like, you know, Prabhupada, there is like this big distance between, you know, some of the pastimes places where Krishna would go in one day. You know, how could Krishna go to all these places, you know, like on foot? And Prabhupada said, he would take very big steps. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the other day I was reading about the spiritual world and how Mother Yasoda when uh, she wants to know if the rice is cooked, she doesn't take one grain from the rice to test it. She just asks the rice, rice, are you cooked? And, <laughs> and the rice says, not quite. <laughs> I mean, okay, but then you think about that, you know, ba -ba 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 -ba, right? But then what if you eat that rice? What would the rice say, you know? Am I tasty? <laughs> I mean... I mean, I don't know, I mean, it gets a bit bewildering, doesn't it? At one point, just, I'll end this spiritual world kind of discussion with Sachinanda Maharaj's dream. Sachinanda Maharaj had a dream of Tamal Krishna Maharaj after Tamal Krishna Maharaj left the planet. Tamal Krishna Maharaj appeared in Sachinanda Maharaj's dream. So Sachinanda Maharaj said, Tamal Krishna Maharaj, What's it like? <laughs> and then, you know, and then tomorrow Krishna Maharaj said, it's different, Satchinandan Swami. It's different than what you think. That's what he said. So, I end with that. But it's definitely, so there's more to it, you know, and I, I try to remind myself of that. But I just look through the little laws that I, that I think are affect, you know. A few hundred years from now, people are going to laugh at us. People were very serious that the earth was flat. Now that's a joke. Although I was in Estonia, driving into the snow, further and further away from the city, into the countryside in the winter, going to two houses, and I knew that the earth was flat. It's very sure. And that I was close to the edge. Maybe the earth is flat after all. How about that?